Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, November 2nd, and you're very welcome to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. I'm Fia Kelly, and I'm joined today by the Irish Times political editor, Stephen Collins. Later on, we'll be going to Leinster House, where Harry McGee has been speaking to TDs about their experiences so far in the 32nd Dáil. But first of all, Stephen, this was supposed to be a quiet week. The doll was supposed to be off, although Michal Martin pulled the stunt last week, which means we're sitting for two days. But politics is anything but quiet. We have this threatened guard strike looming large. Yes, the threatened Garda strike, I think, is over. Uh, it, it's it's dominating politics this week because if the Garda go on strike, uh, it will be an unprecedented situation. There was a blue flu almost 20 years ago, which was, an, which was a work to rule rather than a strike. But a formal strike uh, is really something serious. The government is trying to do everything it can to avert it. I think the Taoiseach Enda Kenny uh, believes that this is going to be very damaging for the country's reputation abroad, never mind the impact that it's going to have at home, the potential crime uh, and potential uh, the fact that the communities will not be protected on Friday. So I think every effort has been made to try and avert it and Noreen O'Sullivan, the Garda Commissioner, has ordered all the Garda and the sergeants and inspectors to attend. So the Labour Court is, I think, the last port of call really. Uh, it's been referred to the Labour Court and we're all waiting to see Will that manage to find come up with a formula that will allow the Gardaí to defer the strike? We have seen the government and the commissioner really apply the pressure in the last day or two um, as we've, we're really going up to the wire. So we've seen both threats from Francis Fitzgerald saying that you, you could be liable for any damages if you're a guard and you, you go on strike and you're not covered in the traditional IR mechanisms. Your pay could be docked. We had the commissioner's letter, as you referenced. But then on the other hand, we saw Pascal Donoghue perhaps opening the door to faster pay restoration for public sector workers than had previously been envisaged. In effect, he's acknowledging that Lansdowne Road, while it must survive for the present, will not survive until its original intended end date of September 2018. Yes, I think the government has a twin-track approach here, really. Uh, the, the, it, it's both the combination of the carrot and the stick, and the stick is uh, the, this, the threat to uh, the, the Gardaí that they could be sued, uh, the Garda commissioners' kind of unprecedented order, really, that they should all turn up for work, whether they're on leave or not. Uh, but then... That that comes in tandem with Pascal Donoghue's uh, softening of the line uh, on public service pay, on, on the re- renegotiation of the, the, the whole public sector pay cuts. So uh, that itself is going to be a, it is a big issue because the government so far has been saying that they can't afford to uh, implement the so-called pay restoration any, qu- any quicker than planned as it, as it would throw the public finances uh, into chaos. Uh, but they're softening on that, so I think it's down to the Garda unions whether or not they decide to accept the branch. Uh, I think we've heard people saying that the, the Garda union leaders uh, are inexperienced and union leaders is is probably the wrong terminology because their associations are not really uh, unions, but in fact, mm. in practice, th- they and, are. And the flip side of that is the Garda associations have for years been pleading with the government's or respect or 
various governments to allow them access to the industrial relations mechanism of the state. They've now been granted that. They've gone, they've talked under the auspices of the Workplace Relations Commissions. They're in the Labour Court now. Mm. So on one on the one hand, after asking for access to these mechanisms for, for so long, the hope from a government point of view is perhaps now they're in the Labour Court, they should really adhere to the norms of the Labour Court and postpone a strike pending any further talks that may t- take place. Yeah, absolutely. I think the government hope is that now that they're in the mechanisms that they will abide by those mechanisms. And one of the things in the Labour Court is that the Labour Court uh, usually asks unions to have a ballot of its members in any settlement deal and that they will want this um, issue, whatever compromise, if there is a compromise to be put to the Gardaí. The government has already made an offer. It has already stretched uh, the terms of the Lansdowne Road Agreement as far as they will go and maybe slightly farther than mm. they should go. Uh, so uh, the, the Labour Court will want that deal to be put to the Garda membership. So I think in the next 24 hours, I think we'll find out whether that does go to the ordinary rank and file Gardaí and the sergeants and inspectors. And the other issue then is when we see this deal that the government have put on the table in black and white, this idea of perhaps Gardy getting paid for a 15-minute on-parade uh, shift or part of a shift they do, basically they turn up for 15 minutes before work, they're told by the superintendent what they need to do. They, they're they not getting paid for that now. The government's proposing they would get paid for that. And it'll be very interesting to see what nurses in particular make of this because they have a similar arrangement and they don't get paid for it. Yes, the nurses are certainly eyeing this and I think all of the public sector unions, I think teachers will be in there too saying that they have uh, duties to, to perform before they actually go into the classroom. Um, so it's, it, it is really going to stretch the Lansdowne Road Agreement. It's going to stretch the whole issue of public sector pay. And we did a very interesting piece in the Irish Times last week by the economist John Fitzgerald, who was pointing out again that public servants in Ireland are better paid than people in the private sector, no matter which way you cut it. And that is before you take into account the fact that they have far better pensions and they've got job security. Mm. So it's, uh, I think it's a dilemma for the government down the line because uh, if the public service are eating a, a bigger share of the cake that's available, there will be less for other people in terms of tax cuts or less mm. for public spending on essential services. So that is a battle, I think, mm. uh, that the public servants seem to be winning at the moment. And interesting enough, I was speaking to a few Fine Gael ministers privately last night who, while accepting that Lansdowne Road won't last until September, September 2018, were already making that argument. They were saying, look, we realise perhaps we'll have to pay public sector workers pay increases quicker than we might have liked, but that will impact on tax cuts, services and welfare payments. So you can see the battle lines already being drawn politically with regard to this, saying if you want increased public sector pay, the compromise has to be uh, less money to pay for other services elsewhere. <coughs> yeah, I think the government will will be making this clear. Certainly, the Fine Gael side of the government uh, will be trying to make this clear that if, if if these payments are going to public servants, other things are going to suffer. Uh, and then the question arises: uh, which political party, or is there anybody in the political spectrum mm. who represents uh, the broad swathe of private sector workers who are not as well paid, who don't have job security, and in fact, in many cases, are now on contract employment rather than mm. permanent jobs? So uh, th- there are big issues out there. The public service u- unions have a lot of clout. Again, the public service is almost entirely unionised and they use that clout. Most the private sector, I think union membership is now down to around 20% of the workforce. Mm. So it's a significant battle over who gets who gets the bigger slice of the cake and it looks as if the public mm. servants are going to get it. And interestingly Cliff Taylor was making a similar point in the Irish Times on Saturday. We said He said there's all this talk about pay restoration but perhaps nobody's looking at the fact that you're restoring pay to levels they were at during the Celtic Tiger and that is not sustainable in the long term. 
No, it's not sustainable unless the taxes keep keep pace with it. Uh, we we have at, at the moment the, the government finances are looking pretty healthy, uh, but there are questions about uh, the corporation tax. That there's been a huge surge in corporation tax receipts over the last year, uh, which hasn't been matched by uh, income tax receipts or VAT receipts. And the feeling is that it's uh, because some of the big corporations, Apple or Google, are maybe pay, m- making payments to adjust their tax regimes, mm. and it might be once-off payments that might not be there for the longer term. So we so the danger is we go down again go down the slippery slope uh, but for the moment the big issue and I think the priority of the government is to try and get the Garda strike in particular mm. called off I don't think they're as worked up about the teacher strike we've had the teacher strikes before um, so I don't think that is going to cause the same level of angst in government circles it, as the Garda It's almost fading into the background in recent days but we mm. can't forget that there is the prospect of schools not being open yeah. next Monday after the midterm returns but leaving the public sector pay issue aside Stephen the other big uh, event this week is the all Ireland Brexit Forum, uh, the initiative Tisha Gendy Kenny, it's on in the Royal Hospital in Kilmainham but it's questionable what outcomes we'll see out of that particular event. Yeah, I think it is a talking shop. I don't think Tishik is pretending it's much more than a talking shop. Uh, it, it, the dialogue is in the title, so it's basically a listening exercise. Uh, the Taoiseach and Micheál Martin and Gerry Adams uh, are all laying out their stall uh, about where this, uh, wh- wh- where Brexit can go. But actually, until... Uh, Theresa May triggers Article 50 until we know the consequences uh, it's really very difficult to call Uh, we've had the currency fluctuation already the sterling has dropped uh, against the euro that has happened in the past how serious it's going to be uh, is the question I think the the, the, the view certainly in government would be that and uh, the opposition that it is going to be very serious because there's no easy there's no easy Brexit Uh, so the question is how difficult it's going to be but but the listening exercise uh, the two unionist parties the two main unionist parties haven't turned up. The SDLP and the Alliance are there. Sinn Féin, which is represented on both sides of the border, is naturally there, along with a whole uh, business group, civic society groups, uh, education groups. Uh, so I think it is in enlisting mode for the moment. The North South Ministerial Council later this month, on November the 18th, will involve the unionists. Uh, that has a formal structure under the Good Friday Agreement. Um, the DUP and the Ulster Unis will be there and I think it's in that form that there might be some more uh, hard political discussions between uh, the various parties because the DUP is actually in favour of uh, Brexit in favour of the UK leaving the EU the Nationalist parties are clearly not so uh, it's really in the very early stages and this is going to be a long game it's going to take a couple of years until we find out how bad this is going to be With Brexit and public sector pay there are going to be two issues that dominate this government's agenda in, in the months ahead Stephen Collins thank you very much You're welcome Up next, our colleague Harry McGee visited Leinster House last week to talk with several new members of the Dáil and Matty McGrath. The politicians were still smarting after having their midterm break taken away by Micheál Martin. Harry asked them about populism in Dáil Éireann, how they handle social media abuse and if they think how we in the press talk about them is fair. Well, the Dáil was meant to take a break this week, but Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin spoiled all our best laid plans. We had an idea for this week's podcast and that seemed to put a kibosh on it. But then we thought about it again and thought that even the Dáil sitting this week would not divert us from that. Usually we look at politics and politicians from our perspective and from our viewpoint. We thought it would be intriguing uh, for once if we allowed them to look at themselves and what they do from their own perspective, from their own point of view, without having to filter it all through us. So in a sense, the mountain moved to Muhammad. We left the studio went to Leinster House, spoke to several TDs and senators 
about their lives, their careers, how they respond to criticism and what they think about us guys in the media. And then, in the end, we ask them the simplest question of all. Are you happy in your work? The answer might surprise you, but we'll come to that later on. But first, what do they do when the criticism becomes nasty? I believe a lot of this climate change thing is an industry being created by scientists to keep themselves going and, and I'll stand As you that. might have guessed, that was newly elected independent TD for Kerry, Danny Healy Ray. He became famous for denying that climate change is man-made. His utterances about climate change have inspired a lot of people to place their face firmly in their palms throughout Ireland and beyond. I asked him how the severe criticism he shipped for all that made him feel. Well, I, I'm well able to take criticism, uh, Harry, uh, and um, I stand my ground. And, and uh, the other side are well entitled to their opinion and I, I respect that. I respect Damon Ryan or whoever uh, for their views, but I have my view and a lot of people on my side uh, that support my view uh, have their view as well. The only imbalance that I see is the people that are supporting climate change are paid to support it. The people that disagree with, 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 with that view are not paid, so they don't, they don't, they're not as prominent as the, as the other side. Okay, well, if they're describing you as a Neanderthal or a Luddite or a caveman or a denier or sticking your head in the sand or, or living in the past, how do, you, uh, how do you take that criticism when it's directed at you? Well, I suppose I, since I started out in politics and long before that, I was, I was always uh, told by the man that came before me, my father, do not call people names or do, or, or do, do, do not... Uh, criticise them fairly, criticise their views, but do not, do not criticise them personally. So I think if people uh, criticise me personally, they're failing in their criticism, criticism or in the view that they're purport, purporting. When they resort to that, it shows me that they've actually failed, they've actually failed to achieve uh, propag uh, propagating their own view when they resort calling me names and that doesn't bother me anyway but they can call me whatever they like but they're only they're only um they're only downgrading themselves another freshman td but considerably fresher perhaps than danny healy ray is fina falls jack chambers he's the youngest td in the doyle who took serious social media heat after he went on tv and expressed opposition to a relaxation of abortion laws a strong response was to be expected but some went much further than that mocking his personality, his appearance and his unusual hairstyle. He became, in a sense, a meme. Well, I said just before my election there was... Uh, a, and after my election there was a huge reaction online uh, to a TV appearance on RT. Um, and I suppose it wasn't necessarily a media connection, but people, Twitter being what it is, there was a, a big... Uh, Reaction and it was fueled by certain people that, that tried to build that online. Um, but my own reaction was to say nothing uh, because if the more you say, the more people react. Um, and I think by uh, staying out of it and ignoring it, that was the only thing you can do. But that's the nature of politics. If you're in the public eye, um, there's going to be a reaction and. Uh, sometimes you know you have to respect that people can have a view and a say. Uh, I suppose people's 
say now is is more immediate and impactful in that it's uh, it's there for everyone to see. Have you ever found yourself at the wrong end of a story being criticised or being uh, given out about in a way that you consider to be unjust, as it were? Um, I don't want to jinx myself here, Harry, but no, not not so far. Mm. That's Marie Bailey from Dunlira, another newly elected TD, but this time for Fine Gael. She has managed to avoid the opprobrium of the keyboard warriors so far, but she identifies a different problem. It's one we hear about again and again as a major frustration for new TDs, and that is populism. The populism I find extremely frustrating. I'm somebody who's a straight shooter and um, I just like to get things done in a proper and correct manner, so the populism does great on me a lot. When you say the populism, what do you mean by the populism? Uh, well, you're in the chamber, Harry. You see, you know, when people are speaking to the gallery or they're speaking to the chamber. So the one line that will get in the headline in the paper or can we actually stick to what we're actually doing in a programme for government and delivering for people rather than trying to get a headline in the paper? Is our politics rife with populist gestures? To follow up this, we speak to Galway West's Catherine Connolly, yet another newly elected deputy. We also speak to Tipperary's Matty McGrath, who is very far from being a freshman. They were amongst only nine TDs who voted to keep the mid-term break intact and went against the tide of 111 of their colleagues. I, I, I'm proud to be a politician and I actually was very disappointed with Fiona Fall and Michal Martin uh, this week when they caved in and said we shouldn't have a break next week. I actually was on the PSC and I wasn't there to vote, but the group I'm with, Independence for Change, voted against that. I think that they showed courage. I think the Green Party that joined with her showed courage. I think Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin were playing populist politics. I think the break was organised. The business committee, just as an example of populism, the business committee had agreed it. Um, none of us were going on holidays. We were going down to our constituencies to work in any event. Uh, not to mention the staff members in Dáil Éireann, who they didn't give a, a consideration to. They were all expecting the week off. They'd made arrangements and so on. That was all put aside because Michal Marden played populist politics. I think he should have stood up and said, we deserve a break. We actually deserve a break because it's extremely difficult. I work very hard. I'm not praising myself. Other politicians work equally as hard. I travel up from Galway every single week. I've never missed a day in the Dáil. We go till 11 or 12 at night time. And I make no apologies for the salary I earn, number one, and for the way I do my work. And if people should hold me to account and vote me out. But I think it's time we stood up and said, this is what we stand for, this is what we're in the doll for. Clearly we need a break. I can't keep up the level of commitment. I simply can't do it from seven in the morning till 12 at night and still be able to give to my constituents. And so we need an honest dialogue about that, not the low populism saying, oh, this is not a right message to give out. Don't agree with that at all. Now, one of the criticisms that has been made of you, uh, Matty, was that I think you accused Michal Martin during the week of being a populist. Yeah, yeah. And people said that the, the pots and kettles were jangling very noisily very as nice. you were making that statement, Kittle, that you're the arch-populist. Kittleton in the pot black is what Miriam described me as. I take that on the chin. I have done populist things. Of course I have. In politics, you, you do. But, but, but this is a whole new doll, and we're promised. And Michal Martin was one of the people who railed for this change and, and, and I'm of course rushing now to a business committee meeting which I take very seriously there's nine or ten of us on it it was the first vote in the order of business everything was working reasonably well and uh, it's a lot of debate we never had a vote in the business committee Never we had different opinions and like for him to sacrifice his whip like that and dump him overboard and undermine the whole um, ethics of the new doll really 
I think it's fascinating. So that's why I stood up in the chamber. I'm a member of the business committee, missed one meeting since it started, and uh, take it very seriously, and, it, and the town caller has to be supported. He's chair of it. It's a new way of doing it. It's not the government ordering the business anymore. It's, it's, it's all of us. A different member uh, does the rapporteur every week. And Michal just decided to, to be an ash publicist that day anyway, and Rick literally uh, the what we had he could have wrecked it and and um fine i don't mind how i'm described like that okay. uh, but i look i'm not going to say i would never pop as i was okay. but to be fair you can hardly blame politicians for sometimes being populist it's hard for them when they know that all their work behind the scenes can often be ignored and then sometimes something very marginal something very silly can blow up in their faces which brings us back to the media if populism is politicians sin then sensationalism and a lack of depth and breadth of coverage are its echoes in the media. Several of our interviewees complain of this. Uh, Rose Conway-Walsh uh, of uh, Sinn Féin, you've been a senator since um, March or April of, of since the spring of this year, essentially. But what's, your, what's your own uh, view of the media and how the media covers politics? Has any aspect of it surprised you? I suppose the main thing that would concern me is that the media don't always ask the hard questions and I'm sometimes listening to people comment, uh, you know, commentating or even politicians commentating on, on various things that they don't pick up the issues that are really important to people and bring them, you know, bring them along to tease out the answers and what needs to be done and when it needs to be done and how it's going to be done. So I suppose the disappointment is sometimes that the media just pick on the fluffy bits where I would like them to concentrate more on the real issues. And I particularly would like them to concentrate more on rural Ireland because I would see that as a big part of my job being here is to put rural Ireland issues front and centre of government. And the lack of knowledge of rural Ireland and the barriers and the challenges uh, to people living in rural Ireland, I think, needs to be concentrated on a lot more. So even if you look in terms of, and I'm, I've never done an analysis, but if you were to look at in, in terms of the breakdown of the commentators on, on broadcasting or print media from rural Ireland, it's very limited compared to, um, you know, I know it's easier to get people from Dublin and all that, but they tend to be the voices that are heard all the time. And rural people want to hear rural voices, and they want to hear the issues that are important to them being discussed uh, Catherine Connolly, how the media, national newspapers, national television, national media portray politics? Do you, have you have been surprised by it or, or what are your observations on the way in which politics is covered? It's a complex answer to that really, it's a complex question. There are, uh, I suppose I've watched with bemusement sometimes from the doll, I, I call you the Supreme Court when you line up and you're looking down on us and um, you take the initial statements and you listen and then you disappear and presumably like politicians like ourselves you're watching screens elsewhere but it's notable that you move out and uh, for instance this and a debate on climate change today one of the most serious issues um, I didn't see a member of the press in there today um, well, I was in for a short period actually I don't mean to be critical because yeah. in a sense politicians weren't there either yeah. and they're in their offices so and they are doing things I mean I've been in my office and not in the doll but then on the other hand it was the most serious issue that has come before us one of the most serious issues I'm looking forward to seeing how the press covered that because we have a statement from the minister uh, committing to changes but there are no details um, so I look forward to see how the press covered that, really. Okay, well, yeah. the, the more general point that you're making is that sometimes the 
political coverage focuses too much on the game rather than on the substance. They look on the, the man rather than the, on the ball to use the well, sporting thank you analogy. Thank very much for putting it that way because that's exactly it. And very often they look at the man literally as well. Mm. Um, if we see the recent um, controversy over um, Mitchell O'Connor, indeed. So, yes. Yeah, and I actually buy all the papers at the weekend. I like the papers. I'm not an online person, and I scan them for analysis rather than just a coverage of, of details. Um, and I think I suppose watching the last 10, 15 years, it was the absence of analysis that really got to me uh, in the newspapers um, because it was quite clear. If we take the crash, and I happened to be mayor in 2004 and five in Galway. I'd have no background in, in economics or money, but it was blindingly obvious to me that there was something seriously wrong in Galway as I went from ball to ball as a mayor, and I was actually getting sick watching um, auctions at balls and stuff. It was blindingly obvious to me, with no background, that there was something wrong, and that was four to five, and the crash came in seven and eight. And so the analysis of what was happening um, struck me as particularly bad. Yeah, there were new, actually, journalists by and large seemed to be cheerleaders for a particular version of society at that time. Yeah. I asked how they felt about the cynicism many feel about politics. Is it their fault? Is it our fault in the media? Or whose fault is it anyway? There's always cynicism around politics and politicians across the world, and that's just the nature of the business. Um, some interesting uh, recent study I saw, in fact, the people's perception of Irish politics is, is the same now than it was before the economic crash, which is interesting that Ireland has quite, has quite a static view and outlook on our political system and our politicians. So there's probably a constant degree of cynicism that's been institutionalised over generations. But no, pe- politicians let the people down uh, in the last 20 years, and I've seen that, uh, including my own party. Uh, but it's trying to rebuild trust uh, and do it in a very open and honest way in terms of your policies and, and what you try and um, what in term, what what you try and debate and, and progress in everything you do and say. I, I, it's, it's a problem certainly and has become more of a problem with the bad sort of Irish water and issues like that that were bulldozed too, you know, and that caused huge angst in the people. But in general, now in the country, especially in my constituency, is Tipperary, and uh, you know, apart from minority that have that, I engage with lots and lots of people from rightly you say from. A preschool and Gale school and that, right up to old age pensioners. 101 year old, I was at an engagement from last week from Plan Mel. If you engage with them, I find that most of them are really are, are, are interested in engaging. The ones who are not are just, you know, sit behind a computer and, and do, do Facebook and Twitter and whatever else. They don't want to engage with everyone. It's a pity they wouldn't stand for politics and, and try and make Is it any change. wonder more people don't run for office? Leaving aside the tightrope walk of living in the public eye, the invective, mistrust, fear, loathing, shouting, cynicism, criticism, there must be something in the job. So we come to the key question. Are they happy? Of course I am. It is a privilege, as I said to you. And um, uh, as long as I'm here, I'll, I'll do my level best for the people. It's a hard job, but I enjoy it and I love the buzz out of it. And I like to try and think that I made some difference in my political career. I wouldn't say happy, no. But a privilege. Um, Tuesday morning I got up at half past six. I went up to Dublin on the bus. I read for two and a half hours on the bus in relation to the Public Accounts Committee. I went into the Public Accounts Committee at 10 o'clock. I stayed there all day. I ran out, I think, for the Taoiseach's questions. 
and back again. And it continued like that until, I think, 12 o'clock last night. I happened to do the Vincent Brown show. So that would be a typical day. I don't recall having longer than 20 minutes for lunch. And I'm making no complaints. I, I choose this life. I realise it's a privilege. But what I really take exception to is the type of politics that Michal Martin represented when he went into the doll saying this is the wrong message to give out rather than bringing back dignity and pride to politicians. So we've discovered the key to happiness in human existence. Become a politician and brace yourself for all the flack you're about to receive. I'm Harry McGee. That was the Irish Times political podcast. We'll see you next time.